Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Olivia DeBercier. And I'm Sophia Osborne. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store over at Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers. And make sure to follow us over on TikTok. You can find us at beyond underscore blathers and give us a follow. So this week, we're continuing on from the Sea Star episode, and Sophia is going to be telling us about the sea otter, which is really just like the cutest animal we can possibly think of. Like, I can't think of a cuter animal. Yeah. I I realized, like, yes, they are marine mammals, and are they maybe the cutest marine mammal? Like, that's, that's a hot take because, I mean, I love whales, and but they're fluffy. I think on a cuteness level... Yeah. Yeah. Like, maybe not the coolest, mm-hmm. but definitely the cutest. Like, you can't beat them. Their faces, like, they are the quintessential teddy bear. Yeah. Like, I want to cuddle one so badly. And, like, their noses are so big. Like, their whole face is structured to be adorable. Yeah. And the way they lie on their back and, oh, we're going to get into all the cute stuff. Oh, I'm so excited. Now, you can't catch a sea otter in the game, obviously, but there is Pascal, who's the red sea otter who loves scallops and will come tell you inspirational quotes and try and trade stuff for scallops. And he's really cute, although sometimes annoying because I never get anything good from him. Only (laughs) like kind of useless facts and sayings, I suppose, but he's still really cute. So I forgive him. Good vibes. Good vibes, yeah. He's just there to provide good vibes. <laughs> That's true, yeah. He's got, like, hippie energy. Yeah. I really love him. He's got to be one of my favorite, I guess, sort of NPCs in the game. Blathers obviously being my favorite, but... Yeah. <laughs> but I guess to talk about real sea otters, which are not bright red and don't give inspirational quotes, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they have so much to say. Yeah. But if we could get inspirational quotes from them, they would be excellent. Yeah. If animals could talk, I do feel like sea otters would be really great to talk to. I think they would. I honestly like Pascal gives the exact advice I'd expect to receive from a sea otter. Yeah. Like just just chill out, live your life, don't stress. Yeah. So let's talk first about sea otter taxonomy because I was really interested in this. I didn't really know what this family was called and also kind of their relation to other otters and that kind of thing. So sea otters are the heaviest members of the Mastilidae family, which is a family of carnivorous mammals, including weasels, badgers, ferrets, martens, minks, and wolverines, which makes sense to me. I'm going to talk about river otters quickly in a little bit. And to me, River otters really look a lot like ferrets and martens and minks and stuff. Like, they all look really similar. But yeah, basically, this is a really cool family. Like, I think that these are all really interesting animals. I mean, like, wolverines. I did not know that otters were related to wolverines. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I had heard that they're the heaviest members of the Mustelids, but I, like, it's beyond me that they're heavier than a wolverine. But I guess I've never really seen a wolverine, and I bet they're mostly fur. Yeah. They probably don't actually have that much bulk. And you know, like, sea otters are pretty big. So, yeah, they're the heaviest members of this family, and they can weigh between 45 to 99 pounds. Wow. Which is, like... That's heavier than my dog. Yeah. It's like a a teen or, like, a kid, you know, preteen or something. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, I, I guess, like, 
in terms of the largest member of the mustelids, it might be the giant otter, which I hadn't heard of before. It lives in South America and it can be over five feet long, but it has more of that kind of river otter, ferret, minx look of kind of being like long and slim Mm -hmm. and not furry, I guess, sort of just like slick hair. But yeah, they're very long, but they're not as heavy as the sea otter. Yeah, I remember seeing photos of the giant river otter and they they look kind of like, um, not to be mean to them or anything, but they kind of look like the Jekyll and Hyde of like a river otter. Like they're the sort of monster version of yeah. a river otter because they've got really intense looking eyes and big teeth. They look kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. I mean, I even find river otters, you know, significantly less cute than uh, <laughs> sea otters. I wouldn't say I find them creepy, but... It's like they just kind of look slinky and like they're, they're a up to no good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I worked with them at the zoo, like you had to be kind of careful of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are some other interesting differences between the sea otters and the river otters, not just their appearance. River otters are quite a bit smaller than sea otters, only a half or a third of their size, which makes sense to me. I, I actually see river otters a lot on Saturna, kind of like running out of the ocean and then out into the brush. And they look small, like they look kind of like a big ferret, like they don't look very big. And while sea otters mostly just float on their backs, river otters swim with their bellies down, kind of like the normal way. And sea otters spend almost all of their time in the ocean, whereas river otters spend most of their time on land. So, you know, river otters aren't a marine mammal like sea otters are. And then also in terms of appearance, the sea otters have a flat, more rounded tail, and they use it to kind of like steer as they're swimming on their backs. It's really cute. Whereas river otters have a thin pointed tail. So yeah, that's that's some differences between them. I just kind of wanted to look into that for myself because I've always sort of wondered about that. I wish that we would see more sea otters on Saturna because that would just make me really happy, but I don't see them there. Yeah. The other thing I remember from looking at the skulls of the sea otters and the river otters is the sea otter skulls are very like chunky. They're very robust. They've got those thick teeth and like a good jaw attachment. The the river otters had a very slim skull. Like their their facial structure is just very different. And it's also worth mentioning, because you were talking about seeing the sea otters, or sorry, the river otters come out of the ocean, run around Saturna. Like, that's a big misconception as people think that river otters only can be found in fresh water. But like, so often if you're like on the ocean and you see an otter, people assume it's a sea otter. But yeah, look carefully. It very well is likely to be a river otter because they're quite common. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I see them in the water, in the ocean a lot. And we also have minks on Saturna as well, because... There used to be like a mink farm. So I think there's some kind of feral minks. <laughs> it's interesting. But yeah, um, going back to the mustelids, this family that the sea otters are in, it's interesting because it's a large, diverse family, but the sea otter still has some pretty significant things that set it apart from the other animals in this family. For one, the sea otter is the only mustelid that doesn't have anal scent glands. And I am sorry to talk about anal glands here because (laughs) I don't know if you have a dog, like 
and you've ever had to go to the vet and have their anal glands expressed, like it is a smell that I will never forget. Oh my <laughs> God. I've never had to do that. Oh that my sounds gosh. horrible. My dog used to, I guess she had like issues with it because we had to do it like quite a few times and it's really gross. Anyway, I don't really know like how similar the smell would be, but <laughs> all the other mustelids besides the sea otter have anal scent glands that produce a strong secretion that they use for attracting mates and marking their territories, but the sea otters don't have them, so maybe that's just one more thing that makes them cuter (laughs) and less smelly. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny you say, like, I don't know if it would smell as bad as my dog's scent glands. Well, they do smell a lot like skunks, so Mm, if you've ever handled a ferret or um, any group in this family. And the skunks are pretty closely related. In fact, I think they actually used to be mustelids before, like, they had some taxonomic revisions. But they all, like, have the same kind of skunky smell. So I don't know if your dog's anal glands smelled like skunk, then yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe not so much skunk, but just really gross. <laughs> she did get sprayed by skunks a lot, too. Oh, no. She was a smelly girl. Smelly girl. Mwah. But yeah, another thing is that sea otters also don't make musks or burrows, which is something all the other mustelids apparently do. And that also makes sense because sea otters are the only mustelid that can live their entire life at sea, which I don't think I really realized. Like, I guess I knew that they were a marine mammal, but I never thought of them as like an exclusively marine mammal, but they can be. Like, they will haul out on land sometimes when their population density is high, but they they can live their entire lives at sea, which is wow, really cool. Like they are truly a marine mammal. That is so interesting. I really I also never thought about that. Yeah. And we're going to get into it, but like they're they're really different than other marine mammals. Like they look different. They have different sort of adaptations for dealing with things that marine mammals have to deal with, like how cold it is in the water and that kind of thing. <laughs> so Yeah, I just thought that was cool. As someone who, you know, I I kind of do a lot of research into cetaceans, but these are different. And then kind of to get more specifically into the sea otter taxonomy itself, there are three species of sea otter, the northern sea otter, the southern sea otter, and the Russian sea otter. So northern sea otters are found in Russia, British Columbia, Alaska, and Washington, whereas southern sea otters are found along the coasts of California and Russian sea otters are found in Russia and Japan. So huh. pretty cool. That's so interesting. I just assumed they were one species. That yeah, was my no. mistake. I, it, it's interesting that the the ones that we have here in British Columbia are different than California. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting, too. Like, they just love the Pacific Ocean, which, fair enough, I also love it, but, like, They basically live in kind of the, uh, what's that, like, you know that chart that's, like, all the volcanoes? (laughs) Like, it goes kind of from from Japan all the way to California. Like the Ring of Fire? Yeah, the Ring of Fire. They basically, that's their sort of zone, which is really interesting. Like, the map from their perspective is very different from ours. Interesting. Now, can we talk about sea otter fur Like, they look so cuddly looking, and when I've gone to the aquarium, you see them, like, grooming themselves, and they just, like, comb through their fur, and it looks so dense and warm. So what's going on in there? Yeah, they look 
cuddly for very good reason. They have the densest fur on the planet, which is like, I want to touch it. Whoa. <laughs> I guess you can touch it. I've, I've definitely touched it before at like, you know, Science World here in Vancouver. They have pelts and stuff and you can touch them. But oh my gosh, it it's so dense. So humans have 20,000 hairs on our entire head, but mm-hmm. sea otters have 100,000 to 400,000 hairs per square centimeter, which is up to 1 million hairs per square inch. Oh my god. That's insane. <laughs> it's actually it's like incomprehensible how dense it is. That's unbelievable. A million hairs per square inch. Like how does skin even like work with that much hair on it? That's amazing. Yeah. So they have two layers of fur. They have the under fur which needs to stay dry. And that traps air against their skin to insulate them. And then they have their longer guard hairs on top, which are waterproof. Like they have a waterproof oil on them, but they're only waterproof when they're clean. So that's why you always see sea otters grooming themselves. They really have to take care of their fur and they can spend hours every day grooming to keep those guard hairs clean and waterproof. Wow. And like terrestrial mammals, sea otter mothers will groom their young And they're actually the only marine mammal that has the ability to hold and manipulate their young for grooming, which makes sense. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you wouldn't really see whales or seals or something doing that. And what would they groom? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So the grooming is partly for hygienic reasons, but it's also probably an important part of socializing, just like in terrestrial mammals. It's a way of showing affection and reconciliation, that kind of thing. So basically, it's really practical and also really adorable. That's so cute. And it's interesting you say, like, with the seals, like, what would they groom? The seals also, like, it's interesting you talk about the guard hairs and then the the underfur because it's the same thing with a lot of seals. They have, especially with, like, I'm pretty sure the fur seals have that. Right. So they will groom themselves and they have a very similar structure. Same with beavers. Like, it seems like mammals that need to stay warm have a very similar like two-layer fur system. It's very effective. Yeah. Cool. I didn't think about fur seals. And then there's also sea lions, which can have fur. I think they all have fur. Well, whales don't have fur. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. I thought we were talking about... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, do all seals have fur, even like harbor seals? Yep. Yeah, they all have fur. And I think they all have two layers. Wow. I'm not sure how dense the harbor seal one is. The harbor seals have very thin fur. And I'm not I'm not positive they have two layers, but I would expect that they do. Wow. That's so interesting. I did not know that the harbor seals had hair. Yeah. Their hair is very, very oily. Mm. Like when you touch it, it feels it's not like soft fur, which makes me wonder like actually how soft an otter's fur would be. Or if it would actually because like a pelt would be soft, but like a living animal mm-hmm. might not feel very soft just because when I've touched harbor seals at work like they're yeah they're oily and they're yeah. like not well at least when they're I haven't touched them dry but I've touched them while they're wet yeah not oily yeah the, the sea otter fur should be oily because it has like waterproof oil coating on the guard hairs if anyone has touched an actual living sea otter not to encourage don't yeah, don't, don't just do go it. out and touch them <laughs> but if you have let us know on twitter or something <laughs> Yeah. Like, did it feel oily or was it just soft? 
Well, that does make it really interesting that and that sea otters are the only ones that can kind of pull their young to them and like manipulate them around so that they can mm-hmm. groom them. That's really cool. That's really cool. So just to clarify, their fur is what's keeping them warm? Like with this dense of fur, is that like all that's keeping them warm? Yeah. So it's interesting because I guess things like seals would be the comparison and seals have hair as we've just established, but they also, you know, are extremely like large blubbery fat animals, (laughs) uh, which is really important for them for, for staying warm. But sea otters are the smallest marine mammal. They may be the heaviest mustelid, but they're a lot, you know, thinner than a seal or a sea lion or a whale. So they can't rely on fat stores to keep them warm. And like we talked about, their fur is incredibly dense and it it does trap a lot of heat, but it can't fully protect them from losing their heat. And I actually read that water transfers heat 23 times more efficiently than air. Oh, wow. So it does, like, you get a lot colder. I, I knew that it was a lot colder, but I didn't really understand, like, how much colder it would make you. Yeah, I guess it makes sense, like, logically. But, yeah, seeing that written down is really kind of amazing. Yeah, you lose heat very quickly. So scientists always kind of knew that otters have extreme metabolisms, but they didn't know how this was working on a cellular level. But there was recently just new research published in science uh, in the summer of last year that talks about how this was working on a cellular level to regulate their body temperature. The researchers found that they have leaky mitochondria, what? <laughs> which is just like it sounds really bad <laughs> like that sounds, it sounds like, like a mistake yeah like a problem <laughs> so if you've taken high school science then you probably remember that the mitochondria are the powerhouses of the cell and basically the sea otters have the ability to activate leaks in their mitochondria to generate extra heat in essence The mitochondria pump protons across their inner membranes to store energy that can be used in the cell, but if those protons leak back across the membrane before being used, they're lost as heat, which can help keep the sea otter warm. And because of this, sea otters have to eat a lot of extra food to make up for those leaks because, you know, your cells basically are converting food into energy, and this is just kind of it leaking out without you using the energy so they have to eat 20 to 33 percent of their body mass a day oh my god yeah that's insane yeah it was really interesting to read about they're basically just like their metabolism is working so so fast to keep them warm that's pretty incredible so what are they eating like what can they find that much of in the ocean like That's a huge amount of food. Yeah. Well, they're really great hunters, really, or more like foragers, like little divers. It's really cute. In terms of what they eat, they, you know, like Pascal, they eat a lot of scallops, lots of fish and marine invertebrates, including a lot of the things that we've talked about on this show, like mussels, tunicates, sea stars, abalone, and even octopus. And Olivia is going to talk more about this in our next episode, but sea otters are a very, very important keystone predator in kelp forests. 
So we're going to kind of talk about the implications of that next episode, but just something to keep in mind. They're really important in kelp forest ecology. In terms of how they actually get this food, it's very cute. They can dive up to 37 meters or 120 feet to find food. Their average dive lasts about a minute, but the longest dive recorded lasted four minutes, which is pretty impressive. Wow. So how they actually do it is they'll take a big breath of air and dive down to the ocean floor and then use their little paws to upturn rocks and look for food like shellfish. And when they find food, they put them in these little pouches of skin that they have under each foreleg to bring it back up to the surface. It's like they're putting things in their little like shopping bags. Oh, that is so cute. It's so cute. Oh my god. It, it really is like they're little foragers. Like they're just yeah, going they're out like there little... and collecting things and It really reminds me of yeah, like commercial divers like we talked about in the abalone episode. And apparently commercial divers are like pretty jealous of them because they're so good at <laughs> finding stuff. <laughs> But yeah, they also have really sensitive whiskers, which they'll use to find snails and crabs hiding in the kelp. And they can use their paws to reach into crevices to find food that they can't see. And speaking of their paws, they're surprisingly strong. And one of their favorite foods, abalone, can be pretty hard to get off of the rocks. So the sea otters will like take a rock and start bashing the abalone to remove it from the substrate. (laughs) So, yeah, they're really smart. They use tools. And you should definitely go listen to our abalone episode if you haven't yet, because that was Mm. a really interesting one. It really was. But yeah, so once they actually get the food, these clever guys are often observed lying on their back with the food, like, on their belly, like a table. And they'll use (laughs) rocks to pound open the shells so that they can get inside and eat the, like, good fleshy bits. And I knew that they did this, but I guess I never thought, like, this makes them the only tool-using marine mammal, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's funny, again, like, we talk about tool use as one of those signs of intelligence. Mm-hmm. But I rarely see sea otters cited as a tool user. I always see, like, crows and chimpanzees, and that's really cool. Yeah, it seems like they they definitely make use of rocks a lot. And I also read that some sea otters are apparently able to discern between shellfish that is edible versus the ones that are toxic. Ooh, useful. Definitely a useful skill, especially (laughs) living in like Japan or something like that. That's really impressive. Wow. And so we've talked about what they're eating. What about what's eating them? Yeah. So like I said, they're a really important kind of top predator in these kelp forests but there are a lot of kind of even more top predators that will go after them Um, and that's mainly sharks and killer whales that are preying on sea otters but i also read that bald eagles bears and wolves will prey on them too if they have the opportunity and sea otters actually have some pretty good strategies for avoiding predation and these also probably helped them avoid total extinction during the fur trade which is something we're going to talk about in a bit here. But one strategy that they use is group vigilance. So the whole group can sort of pay attention to whether there are any threats around. And you'll also find them sometimes resting in the kelp beds to try to avoid detection from predators. Wow, that's so smart. Yeah, it sounds like they have a lot of kind of interesting strategies. And they can live up to 23 years, although the average lifespan is more like 
10 years. That's pretty good for a big mammal. Yeah, I think so. It's not, it's pretty dangerous in the ocean. (laughs) That's definitely (laughs) something that I've learned. Yeah, I I think one of the last things I'd want to be is an animal that is predated upon by killer whales. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Killer whales and like great white sharks. Yeah. So you're talking about them living in groups and protecting each other. Like, are they really social? Are they hanging out all the time together? What's going on there? Yeah, yeah, they do hang out in groups. You might have heard about how the sea otters will raft together. So that's when they, you know, they all float on their backs and then they'll like hold hands so they stick together because when they're on their backs, they're susceptible to getting swept away by you know by currents and everything so like they'll yeah they'll hold each other's hands and they'll often do this while resting in kelp beds and they'll kind of like drape the kelp over themselves to Mm. hold on and it's really cute so I knew about this behavior before and they can be in big rafts like 30 otters which wow that would be amazing to see but something I didn't know is that they only raft kind of like grouped by gender so And this is actually something that it becomes kind of a conservation issue because, you know, if you have all the females and pups together in one raft, then if that if something happens to that raft, like there's an oil spill or or some other pollutant or something and that whole raft gets wiped out like that is kind of more biologically valuable than a raft of males. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I didn't know that. That So the, the females and pups will be in one group and the males will be in another. And the females stay away from the males except when they're mating, which is interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. Oh, man, though, that's so cute. <laughs> I did read a little bit about how they mate and I didn't really want to put it in because it was like really it just made me kind of sad. It was like it sounded so <laughs> aggressive And, like, the males are basically kind of, like, drowning the females to subdue them. It was really dark. I was like, this is not how I want to imagine. (laughs) But if I was a female, I would probably also stay away from the males based on that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so all we need to know about the reproduction is it's very violent and yeah, not great. I will say that, like, so sea otters will just usually have one pup at a time. And I read that, like... Their delivery for the pups is really kind of funny. Like, they won't really look pregnant at all. And then they'll just kind of suddenly, like, do a twirl in the water. And when they come back up, they have a pup. Which is so weird. <laughs> like magic. Yeah. Like, ma- like, like, I wish that human birth was that easy, I guess. And then they'll usually just have one. Sometimes they'll have twins. But if they have twins... Because it's such a kind of like intimate relationship, like the mother is so responsible for the care of the pup and they also require so much food as we talked about. Mm -hmm. So the mom will have to kind of choose one and like ditch the other, which is sad, but sad, but common in in nature. Yeah, that's nature. Yeah, it's a hard life out there. Yeah. Look at them cooperating and holding hands, staying together. I know, like looking out for each other. Are there any killer whales coming? Yeah. Oh, so scary. So you touched on this a bit, but let's let's get into sea otter conservation. They're a very charismatic animal. Like, what is going on with them? Yeah, there's a lot of history to talk about with sea otter conservation. 
So sea otters are listed as endangered on the IUCN red list. And just 200 years ago, there may have been a million sea otters ranging from Japan through Alaska, British Columbia, and down the coast to Mexico. But because their coats are so dense and warm, like we talked about, they were extremely coveted by fur traders. And starting in the 1740s, they were hunted almost to extinction. Wow. And... Very similarly to the abalone, actually, not a single sea otter was visible off the coast of California, which is just, it's so sad. That is sad. And that's incredible that it was able to happen that fast. It happened really, really fast. And it's interesting to think about, like, if there were a million sea otters, like, you must have been able to see them everywhere. And it's so different now. Yeah, they're definitely a rarity. So, yeah, basically, they looked to be you know, extinct from California until 1938 when a raft of just 30 sea otters was found off the coast of Big Sur, and that population has now spread along the coast of California, but there are still only around 2,000 sea otters in all of California. Wow. And it's pretty wild to think that those 2,000 sea otters all just came from that one raft of 30 sea otters that survived. Yeah, and especially when they're only having one baby at a time. Yeah. That's kind of, that's pretty miraculous, actually. Yeah, a pretty impressive story, but uh, you definitely have to think about genetic diversity in that case. Like, Mm -hmm. that does not sound great. And yeah, in the U.S., the southern sea otter is now protected under the Endangered Species Act and the Marine Mammal Protection Act, and they can't be hunted anymore. So they look to be, you know, recovering, but it's certainly not, they're certainly not at the same population level they were before colonization. Wow. And then in Canada, where we have the northern sea otter, the last verified sea otter, like the last one. How wild, the last, the last sea otter. Wait, like the last, like there there were none. Yeah. It was shot near Cayucat, British Columbia in 1929. So that was like the last one. And then between 1969 and 1972, 89 sea otters from Alaska were brought to Vancouver Island and basically reintroduced to try to bring them back. And following reintroduction, the British Columbia sea otter population grew rapidly over 18% per year from 1977 to 1995 on Vancouver Island. And then growth rates slowed to about 10% per year after that. And so in terms of kind of the numbers they're at now, surveys in 2008 found 4,110 sea otters along Vancouver Island and 602 in central British Columbia. So they're currently listed here as a species of special concern, and we have a management plan for them. I thought it was interesting that they're not even listed as like threatened. Yeah, you know, and this is where it would have been, I should have read that, uh, the species protection plan you sent me, because it'll tell us a lot about why that is. The way that the Canada Species at Risk Act works, it's quite complicated, and it has to do with growth rates. So it's possible that, well, I guess it's not only to do with growth rates, but one of the big things is, yeah, like, what growth are we seeing? It's also hard when there's not a lot of, like, prior populations to Mm. go off of, like, Yeah, I imagine that's complicating things. But wow, like, I had no idea about this history. The fact that you couldn't see sea otters between, like, the 30s and the 70s in Canada, Mm -hmm. that's 
astonishing. Yeah. I had no clue. They were truly... They were extinct, locally extinct. Yeah, locally extinct. Or extirpated. Extirpated, yeah. That's mm-hmm. the word that I was looking for. Yeah. It's, I'm like just amazed that they've had so much success from this reintroduction. Yeah. It, it reminds me of humpback whales too, which were similarly hunted to basically extirpation in the sort of Salish Sea in around British Columbia. And now they've made like a really big recovery and are coming back strongly. So... It's good to see. Like these are basically success stories, I guess. But you know, there are still challenges that they face, which is kind of why I was wondering about the special concern, because they're they're no longer being hunted. You know, at at least as far as we know, there's probably some illegal kills, but we don't really have any estimate of how many are being killed. So they're not facing as many kind of acute challenges to their kind of individual survival, but they are very susceptible to oil spills, which really scares me a lot because of how much increased oil tanker traffic we're going to be having along the coast of British Columbia. We already do have a lot. And this is like treacherous territory. This is like, you know, there should not be oil tankers in these areas that they're in, but there's going to be even more we're expanding the port here in Vancouver. There's all these proposed pipelines. Like it's it just really scares me because obviously this is a huge issue for other marine mammals and just any sort of sea life. Oil spills are so devastating. But for sea otters especially, they really depend on their fur for insulation and oil destroys the water repellent nature of the fur. Basically, oil eliminates the air layer and reduces insulation by 70%. So that leads to hypothermia and the the sea otters can't survive. And also, once the fur is covered in oil, the sea otters ingest oil as they groom themselves, you know, which contains hydrocarbons that are really damaging to internal organs and can cause death. So I feel like it's quite an iconic, as you said, they're like, a charismatic megafauna and you definitely see those kind of commercials for what like dish soap and stuff that are like we're saving the sea otters <laughs> but it's this is genuinely really scary stuff and i mean one specific example that people might have heard of is in 1989 when the oil tanker the exxon valdez ran aground in prince william sound in alaska and spilled 42 million liters of crude oil whoa yeah And nearly a thousand sea otter carcasses were recovered within the first six months after that spill. And they estimate that anywhere from 2,500 to almost 4,000 sea otters died during that event, which is... That's like the entire population of what Vancouver Island and BC has now. Exactly. Like if there was a major oil spill like the Exxon Valdez here, like off the coast of Vancouver Island, that, that would be like all of them gone. And sea otters in Prince William Sound had decreased survival rates in all of the age classes in the nine years following the spill when they were studying wow. it. Yeah. That's a long effect. Yeah. So not only are you like killing off thousands of them right then, but they're also not surviving after that, which is really disturbing. Yeah. No, and when you say like this is a major threat, like that is that's a really major threat. That is like entire populations mm-hmm. very quickly. 
Yeah, so that's definitely kind of the most catastrophic threat and definitely really scary. Another threat to talk about is one that we touch on a lot on the podcast with sea creatures. And, you know, it's something that's really relevant for marine mammals. And that's entanglement in fishing gear. Sea otters can get caught up in traps, nets, fishing debris, and then they'll drown and sink to the bottom of the ocean. And because of this, it's hard to estimate how many sea otters die from fishing gear entanglement, but it it's considered a medium level threat for them. And then there are some threats that are considered low level threats. So that's bioaccumulation of toxins, disease and parasites, interactions with humans, which is definitely something to mention just because there's you know, increasing ecotourism, which is great, but it also means that more kind of humans are coming in closer contact with a lot of marine mammals. Like this is an issue for whales as well, for sure. And then vessel strikes, which is again, vessel strikes is a huge issue for large marine mammals like humpbacks and everything because they kind of have no spatial awareness. They're used to being the biggest animals in the water. So sea otters are like a lot better at kind of avoiding vessel strikes, but it's still an issue, especially kind of, yeah, increased ecotourism, increased tanker traffic, that kind of thing. So vessel strikes is always something to talk about. And then, like I mentioned, there are some concerns with issues of genetic diversity. We don't really know yet what the genetic diversity is of the sea otters in British Columbia, but they basically had that bottleneck situation. Like they were, that was a population of just 89 sea otters that has become like over 4,000. So it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with genetic diversity and why that like a lower genetic diversity is an issue, as soon as you have low genetic diversity, you start to see diseases pop up and less resistance to disease and parasites and things like that. So yeah, it's just a lot more, it's a lot more threatening. It's kind of like they've got all their gene eggs in one basket and it's not ideal. Yeah, exactly. Like I can't believe that California population started from just 30. That's that's pretty crazy. I yeah, mean, pretty scary. there are definitely incidents where, you know, scientists have been like, this is way too genetically indiverse. And it's actually they look at it and it's actually fine. So it's I don't know the details for the sea otter, but there are cases where it's it's OK. Like it's gotten back to a pretty healthy place. But I don't know. It's pretty nerve-wracking when it's a, a you know group of animals like this that are very susceptible to more what we in the biz like to call stochastic events, basically mm. just like random disasters. Yeah, I'm not sure about California, but I was reading the the Canadian management plan, and from BC, they haven't analyzed the genetic diversity yet, so they're it's still unknown. Interesting. So, my friends, go support your local research institution so that they can find that out and research the populations. Yeah, and this is one reason that we don't want the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion and that kind of thing and the Terminal (laughs) 2 expansion here in Vancouver. Like, think of the sea otters. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're really going to pull that. We're going to play that card here. Yeah, Uh, the sea otter card. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of problems with that pipeline. And being Mm -hmm. from Alberta, let me tell you, it's real discouraging. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll leave it at that. I don't need to say much more. Sorry to end on such a bummer note here, folks. Well, (laughs) we'll be back next week. And Olivia is going to be talking about 
kind of more about that kelp forest ecosystem, which is so cool. That's probably like my favorite ecosystem. Yeah, I, I'm almost like intimidated by how I'm go- going to approach this. There's so much to talk about. And it's one of those places I've always wanted to, like, I, I specifically want to learn how to scuba dive so I can go and like explore the kelp or I guess like see them underwater. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that would be so amazing. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about conservation. It's it's going to be really interesting, I think, um, especially for those of you who maybe don't know a lot about conservation or haven't had like, yeah, maybe maybe you aren't familiar with the BC ecosystems, maybe never heard about the kelp forests and everything. So I hope that's going to be really interesting for you all. And maybe yeah. people who do know stuff, you'll learn new things. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to learn more. It's like something that I've always kind of, you know, known about and been iconic to me, but I don't really know a lot about how it works. So I'm I'm very excited. Everyone better come back next week. Yes. <laughs> and share uh, cute sea otter photos and stories with us if you have them. Oh, yes, definitely. Well, thanks so much, Sophia, for researching that and doing all that work. That was so interesting. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And of course, don't forget to check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyond blathers and follow us on instagram and twitter at beyond blathers and tiktok at beyond underscore blathers tune in next week to learn more about the insects fish and fossils you can find in animal crossing new horizons bye bye